0: Our scripture is found this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord.
1: You can be seated. Well, this is the famous love chapter in the Bible, and uh, most often it is separated from the context of uh, first corinthians and so if you've been trekking with me uh, through the series in first corinthians you know what we're talking about and how this fits in the context but if you haven't i'll provide a little bit uh, of that for you in just a moment Uh, but uh, suffice it to say that this is the chapter read at so many different weddings and I have the privilege of, being, of conducting weddings, and uh, many of them, and being in the room with the, with the groom, you know, before he goes out. It's such a fascinating space uh, to be in. Uh, grooms, can, uh, they, they come in all kinds. And uh, some are giddy, and uh, some are uh, nervous about being in front of other people, you know, just being up there. I remind them nobody's looking at them, but they still don't get that. Uh, some are uh, just uh, just nervous. I remember I was part of a wedding. There were four of us pastors in this wedding, four of us, and we all wore robes. So we looked like the Supreme Court uh, presiding. We all stood the whole time with our robes on. I've never seen a more nervous groom in all my life, ever. He was literally shaking, sweating with nerves. I thought, he will not make it. I, I think he's going to run. Uh, wasn't sure why, but he was so completely nervous. Uh, but this chapter deals a lot with, with love and with what happens in that context. Um, and then uh, being the parent of a middle schooler, I, I see middle school love. Um, uh, you, you may be familiar with middle school love. It's an interesting thing, uh, middle school love it is. Trent and I were trekking down to Chapel Hill on Friday on the way to a doctor's appointment. Check up, and we were at the drive through at Chick fil A uh, at the drive through and playing our little Chick fil A game. I've shared with you, you say thank you, and they have to say my pleasure. And we were counting down how many times uh, we gotten that girl to say my pleasure. And so, when he was texting a girl, and I said, Who are you texting? and he told me who, and I said, Who in the world is that? Uh, And and, uh, uh, after he sent the text, I said, Trent, who is that girl? I don't know all the girls you talk to now. There are so many of them. I can't keep them all apart. Well, technology got the best of him. He had no idea that while I was speaking on that text function, he had hit the record, you know, the little microphone, and he had recorded everything I just said and sent it to that girl. Yes, he had sent it to the girl, and he looked down and he said, Dad, there's a recording. And I said, oh, really? And he said, yeah. And so it had sent, and he immediately went, he said, I'm going to delete it before she gets it. I said, listen, son, this is this where I'll know more about technology than you do. That doesn't work. <laughs> she has it. And sure enough, within about 30 seconds, message comes back to him, so-and-so has saved your recording. I said, he said, Dad, she saved it. I said, son, that's great. That's so good. Maybe she'll spread the word, all right? So, so love, when it you know, middle school love is fickle. It comes, it goes. And so as you grow up, love changes. And the question is, the title of the sermon is, love is a verb. And I wonder, do you believe that? Or are you of the persuasion that love is primarily a feeling? Love is a feeling. It is an emotion. It is how you feel more than what you do. Uh, You would not say that love isn't a verb. You would just say that love is a feeling and then maybe it's a a verb or it's a feeling 70% of the time and a verb 30% of the time. For the Corinthians, they had a couple of problems that gave rise to 1 Corinthians 13, and here they are. Uh, number one problem is that if you ride in or sail into Corinth, you'll look up on the hill behind the city and see the temple to the goddess of love. That's a problem. Because what uh, they had done is to replace love with Lust, and there you see worship that took place in the temple that was anything but what it should have been. So that's problem number one. Problem number two in this uh, place of Corinth is that they were new believers, and I love discipling new believers, uh, but but new believers drag into their walk with God. All of the stuff, or a lot of the stuff from before Christ, and so uh, 1 Corinthians 5, we looked at, seems like years ago now, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, talks about a, a, a sexual problem that even the pagans would, would look at and think, how in the world could you do such a thing? So there was the uh, the distortion of love that had taken place within the Corinthian church, but then Uh, There is this issue within the church of loving each other as brothers and sisters in Christ as they ought to. Uh, The ones that have money ate together. The ones that didn't have money ate together. There was a socioeconomic problem. Uh, There was the inferiority complex we talked about last week of I'm not that good at anything, so I won't serve. And The superiority complex, uh, complex, which was uh, I'm so good, uh, why do I need you? All of this rolling through this church. Um, and so this 1 Corinthians 13 is more uh, f- never about marriage initially uh, but can be applied to marriage ultimately. And so uh, we'll look at it as it rolls out. Here's, here's what I would say to us. If there's one line that says this is what this chapter is all about, uh, that line is, that lo- is love others like Jesus loves you. Love others like Jesus loves you. And I'll borrow then from Karl Bart's one-sentence summary of 1 Corinthians 13. Karl Barth, theologian during uh, the mid-1900s, said this, uh, It is love alone that counts. It is love alone that triumphs. It is love alone that endures. And that's really his summation of these 13 verses. And so I would say to you, love like Jesus loves you because love counts. Love like Jesus loves you because love triumphs. And love like Jesus loves you because love endures. It's love alone that counts, love alone that triumphs, love alone that endures. Um, Here is what we uh, see in these verses Uh, Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gonger, a clanging cymbal. In Corinthian worship, tongues were big. Uh, They were speaking in tongues a lot. It was confusing a lot of people, but there were a lot of people pretty proud they could pull it off. And Paul says, if you could do that, or let's elevate this thing, and you could speak in the tongues of angels. You can say what angels say. You can do all of that without love. He says, you're a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You are just noise. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. So this is pretty spectacular. You have enough faith to say to a mountain, mountain be removed, which was a, a phrase that meant you had all the faith in the world and you can do all of that, but you don't have love. Big deal. Big deal. You are nothing, Paul says, or he's saying, I am nothing. Uh, But verse 3 probably catches most of us by surprise. Because if you look at verses 1 and 2, or the first two cases, you speak in tongues, you have prophetic powers, uh, you have amazing faith. All of that draws attention to yourself. But the third scenario is kind of surprising. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Wow. You see, giving away everything you have or martyrdom, dying for the faith, seems such not a thing to draw attention to yourself. And Paul is saying, if you do that without love, you gain nothing. What does he mean by that? Please hear me. Uh, the scriptures are replete with this uh, maxim, this principle. If you give to the poor, God will give to you. You you find that all through Scripture, it is a proven principle. Generous people are blessed by God. All through Scripture, you'll see it, you'll see it in the book of Proverbs. Uh, it's not a mount, it's it's sacrifice. If you give generously God will generously bless you it may not be materially it may be in ways you don't even know you don't even realize God honorous honors a generous heart One of the things I've clung to for years as pastor of this church, as we have helped now over 700 uh, families uh, uh, since we've been counting, which is uh, a few years ago with benevolence, I've thought, God, you've blessed us to bless others. Keep blessing us so that we can bless others. You will honor our generosity. You're a God who does that. But here's the deal. If we do it begrudgingly, God doesn't bless it. We gain nothing. If we do it with our chest stuck out and we do it with, well, here we go again. You know, we're collecting backpacks again. Can these people not get it together? Can they not figure their stuff out? Do we have to do this every year? If that is your attitude, you probably should keep your backpack to yourself. That's what Paul says. You gain nothing. There's nothing in that that you gain. Or if you give your body to be burned, we hear that. And when we hear that, that seems so foreign to us. But there was a guy in Paul's day uh, that, that would have been at the end of Paul's uh, life that he was coming onto the scene. His name was Polycarp. It, it is believed that Polycarp was a uh, disciple by John. Uh, who wrote the Gospel of John, the three letters of John, the book of Revelation, that Polycarp was discipled by John. And for some reason, Polycarp, who was a a church leader, uh, did not uh, come under fire until he was in his 80s. And in his 80s, he was hunted down by the Romans. And he was brought before a, a proconsul by the name of Quadratus. And Quadratus was questioning him, this proconsul, and, and uh, Polycarp was carrying on a conversation. Uh, actually lighthearted, as the chronicler of this martyr, martyrdom uh, says. And Quadratus became angry and said, do you not know that I can feed your body to the animals? Do you not realize that I can uh, put you to the stake and burn you? Polycarp responded to Quadratus, "Hey, the fire that you burn me with will last for a little while, but the fires of the of the judgments of God, they'll last forever." So Polycarp then was. Uh, uh, Questioned, he was told to renounce Christ, he refused, and so soldiers grabbed him to nail him to the stake, but here's what he said to them, I quote, leave me as I am, for he who grants me to endure the fire will enable me also to remain on the pyre, unmoved, without security you desire from nails. He prayed aloud, the fire was lit, and Polycarp died. The first martyr in the church after the apostles was Polycarp. He died burned at the stake. Here's the reality Polycarp does that angry, bitter, then he gains nothing. If he does that, questioning God, God, why me? Why have you put me here? Why do I have to endure this? He gains nothing. But if he does it in love, he gains everything. Love others like Jesus loves you because love counts. It isn't martyrdom that counts. It isn't giving that counts. We count it, but it doesn't count. It isn't those things. Love ultimately counts. It's love that counts, Mark says. I would agree. Love others like Jesus loves you because love triumphs. Look at verses 4 through 7. They're packed. Uh, We see two adjectives. Love is patient and love is kind. Uh, Some have said uh, that this is the passive and the active. Patient is the passive uh, activity of love and uh, 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 kindness is the active side of love. Love waits is what it says. Love is patient and love is kind. The old King James says, love suffereth long. If you've been married for any period of time, You've waited. You've waited. You've waited on your husband to get over his ill attitude. Right? You can laugh. It's true. You've waited on your wife to get through that spell. Whatever it is, you've waited. Or you've waited through a diagnosis You've waited through the loss of job. You've waited through perhaps unfaithfulness. Love is patient. It waits. Uh, while it waits, by the way, it's one thing to wait. Uh, have you seen people who wait but they're not patiently waiting? Uh, they they. Put you on edge right but while love waits love is kind that's the active part love kindly waits um, active goodness on another's behalf when i think of love and i think of love waiting and of love being patient i think of jesus and i think of peter uh, Jesus called 12 guys, and honestly, if you look at their resume, you and I, if we were building a company, wouldn't have chosen them. They just don't come across as being the the, the brightest guys to choose to, to start a movement that would last till now and uh, until Jesus comes back. But Jesus chose him so uh, we'll go with it and one of his name is Peter and he's a rough fisherman. He's not educated. He's a rough fisherman and he's he's uh, kind of coarse with his mouth and and he's loud. And so Peter is the one who sees Jesus walking on the water and says, Lord, I'd like to try it out. And he goes to uh, Jesus on the water. Remember, he takes his eyes off Jesus. He begins to sink. Jesus picks him up. That's Peter. Uh, Then there's... There's that time where they're in the synagogue in Capernaum. And right down the road, I've been to that synagogue, right down the road there is the remains of what is believed to be Peter's house. And uh, Peter's mother-in-law was ill. And he, Jesus, walked down that road, that dirt kind of gravel road, into Peter's house and healed his mother-in-law. Peter saw that. Peter was privy to a lot. And then there was the trial of Jesus, the mocking, the uh, making fun, the belittling. Peter stands there, a servant girl comes over, and Peter's accident gave him away. You see, he was from Galilee, and uh, that's like being from Nebo. And so, just kidding. So, so Peter's accent gave him away, and what happens is, uh, she says, you're one of them, aren't you? And uh, Peter says,, um, "No." And he stands by the fire. A little later, she, she hears him talking because Peter can't help but talk. And you're, you're one of them. You're the way you talk. Yeah, you're one of them. And Peter vehemently denies. And then there's the third time she comes back to him. And when she does, Peter answers. And it's a swearing answer so much so that if you look at the language, it appears that he, he calls God's wrath down either on this woman or on Jesus. You're, you're wondering who it is. And as soon as the words come out his mouth, Jesus turns and looks at him and locks eyes with Peter. And Peter's face falls And Scripture says he went out and wept bitterly. Let me ask you a question. If you're Jesus, once you've been crucified, crown of thorns, spear thrust in your side, mockery stripped naked in front of people, and Peter is nowhere to be found in all of that. If you're Jesus, when all of that is said and done, are you going to go looking for Peter? Jesus did. He went looking for him. And just like the first time he found him fishing, and just like the first time Peter had caught nothing, and so they caught some fish together, and Jesus said, hey, let's sit down. Let's have breakfast together. And they sat there, on the seashore just Jesus, Peter and they ate and Jesus looked at the guy who had denied him three times who swore he never knew him don't miss this guys and he said Peter do you love me do you what church what's the word love not do you believe me not are you with me Peter do you love me oh Lord you know I do well then go and feed my sheep meaning go preach the word well that's over they eat some more Peter Peter do you love me Oh Lord, you know I do. Then, then go feed my lambs or tend my lambs, feed my sheep. There's a third time, same conversation. I happen to think. That Jesus in his grace, Jesus in his greatness and his goodness, who loves Peter, even though Peter left him and abandoned him in in his worst moment, Jesus, who loves that deeply, gave Peter the same opportunities, three of them, to affirm his love for him as Peter had denied him. Wow. I want to say something to you this morning, if you're in here, and And this is your first Sunday back to church. You've been away. You've been away from God. You've you've lived on your own terms. You've done your own thing. We're so glad you're here. You are in the right place. You are in the right place. And there is a Jesus who is patient and a Jesus who is kind. And for all the time you've been away, he's been waiting for you to come home. Amen, church? He's been waiting for you. For all the time you've been away, he's been looking for you. He's been waiting for the moment to sit down and to eat with you and to talk with you and to bring you in and to affirm his love for you and to give you an opportunity to say one more time or two more times or three more times, Jesus, you know I love you and, and, and that is I'm so sorry. Peter had already wept bitterly. Now's an opportunity to turn bitter weeping into joyful affirmation of his love for Jesus. We're glad you're here. You don't have to leave this place with the guilt with which you walked in. You don't have to. You can leave free, forgiven. Shame gone, guilt gone. Free and forgiven. In that good news, what good news? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love others like Jesus loves you because love triumphs. Then there are seven verbs love does not envy, that means no competition. That means you don't look at somebody. This is written to the church at Corinth. Don't, uh, the poor should not envy the rich. Uh, the the uh, have should not envy uh, 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 those who have more. The uh, educated should not envy those who are more educated. The uneducated should not envy the educated. There's no envy. We're all on level ground. Love does not boast. That's a braggart. Uh, the word literally means windbag. You know what I think of? I think of one uppers. You know what a one upper is, right? You tell your story, well, they've done it better. Like as soon as you finish, they tell you theirs. You've been somewhere, they've been somewhere better. You've climbed a mountain, they've climbed a taller one. Whatever you've done, I mean, their theme song is Anything You Can Do, I Can Do Better. Right? I can do anything better than you. And so that's a windbag. And love isn't that way. Love is, uh, does not boast. Uh, love is not proud. It isn't puffed up. It is not rude. It doesn't behave shamefully or disgracefully. Love is not self-seeking. Uh, I'll pause here for a moment. I'll pause here for a moment. I listened to a podcast this week of an attorney who is a professor at Sanford University. This is prior to the recent Supreme Court decision. So he predicted the outcome of it, just as it went, but then he said this. He said, we should not be surprised at the outcome of this decision, uh, of the outcome, because of what has happened to marriage since the sexual revolution. You would say 50s, 60s. What does he mean? He said, prior to the 60s, prior to the sexual revolution, marriage was about two things. Number one, procreating, having children, and number two, moral support. I need you, you need me. I'm here for you. You are here for me. That was the two purposes of marriage. He said, but with the sexual revolution, the purpose of marriage changed, and it changed to self-fulfillment. I'm getting married because of what you can do for me. I'm getting married because you can meet these needs I have or you can meet these desires I have. That is self-fulfillment. And so what he said is, when you approach marriage that way, and people have done it for years, and many of you, like me, who disagree with that decision, many of you Unknowingly, have bought into the idea of marriage as self fulfillment. You can't wait to get married because of what he can give you or what she does for you, not what you can do for him or what you can do for her. Uh, Love is not self seeking. It is not egotistical. It it does not put oneself above the other. Love is not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. When Jesus died on the cross, if you trust him as your savior, all the sins you've ever committed are erased. They're wiped clean. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. What does that mean? That means, globally, love does not delight in the poverty that exists in our world and the the orphanage, the orphan problem that exists in our world. Love doesn't delight in that. But then, personally, uh, love doesn't delight in the gossip you read on Facebook about somebody who's fallen, who's messed up. Love does not rejoice in what you hear at the the beauty salon about the teenager who lost his way. Love does not rejoice in when others fail. Doesn't delight in evil, rejoices with the truth. And then there is this uh, verse 7. We call it in hermeneutics a chiasm. Uh, I call them Oreos, all right? And so an Oreo is the first statement. And the last statement mean the same thing. And the stuff in the middle are possible because the first and the last statement. Look at verse 7. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So love bears all things and endures all things, it's the same thing. Love bears all things, endures all things. And the only way it can is because it believes all things and hopes all things. What does that mean? In the context of a church, if I choose to believe the best about you until I know Otherwise, then I can sustain a healthy, right relationship with you. All right? If I choose to believe the best about you until I know otherwise, or in a marriage, if I choose to believe the best about you until I know otherwise, that belief and that hope will help that marriage endure and sustain. Love endures. Love bears. But once belief is gone and will and once hope is gone, you're in trouble. Once you Don't believe anymore. And once you don't hope anymore, the marriage will begin to disintegrate at that point. The relationship in your Bible fellowship group, in your small group that meets at home, will begin to disintegrate. It's time to sit down, have a talk, figure some things out. Love triumphs. say, well, how do I know if I'm doing this? Here is the exercise, and it hits home. Go to verse uh, verse 4 and put your name in there. All right, so go to verse 4 and put your name in there. Jerry, I would say, is patient. Jerry is kind. Jerry does not envy or boast. Jerry is not arrogant or rude. That's how you know if you're living this out. And then it hits home, doesn't it? That's tough. Jerry is not irritable irritable or resentful. Jerry does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Jerry rejoices with the truth. Jerry bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's the test. Do you do that in your marriage? Do you do that? Love triumphs. Then finally, love others like Jesus loves you because love endures. Look at these verses. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. Tongues will cease. Knowledge will pass away. And then we find this now and then thing. This now and then. Hope nobody drove a convertible. All right. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Let me talk about this. What Paul is saying is that there is a now and a then. And we mature and we grow up. Here's how it works. All right, so when I was a kid, my sister is here. She can attest to this. My mom's way of waking us up was not very tender all right the way i wake up our kids is somewhat tender the way wendy wakes them up is more tender all right but the way my mom woke us up as i recall is here's what she did we got up at 6 30 every day sunday to sunday Never, ever slept in. That was so foreign to me. Don't ever recall ever in my life sleeping in. It was only when I went to college that my roommate would sleep like past seven, and I thought he was going to hell. I mean, I just didn't know that people did that. And so, Mom would come in, and this is how she woke us up. Flip the light switch on. The overhead light. It's time to get up. That was it. There was nothing more. There was absolutely nothing more. And guess what we did? We got up. Just like that. She said it was time to get up, and we got up. All right, so I'm 47 now. So what if this morning I get up way before Wendy does on Sunday mornings? What if this morning, or what if tomorrow morning I would just lay in bed until Wendy comes in there and flips on the switch and says, it's time to get up? And then I get up. You see, Wendy married me not to be my mother. She married me to be my wife, right? And if she, wa- if she has to be my mother, it's weird for that person to do both. That's what Paul is saying. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I acted like a child. But now that I've become a man, i put childish ways behind me. Love, real love, is the most grown-up thing you can do. You check childhood at the door. You check being a kiddo at the door. Love is grown up. And when it's grown up, it's good and it's right. This morning, I look over to my right and see Dana and Valerie. Dana and Valerie are are, um, are here this morning. Valerie had surgery about uh, uh, two weeks ago, I think tomorrow. And, and uh, Valerie has cancer. They love each other deeply. Would you guys stand? They didn't know I was going to do this. This is Dana and Valerie. They love each other deeply. You can be seated now. And Valerie was diagnosed with cancer um, a few months back. I would just say to you that whatever they felt when they were dating... If that is all they were going on at this point, they wouldn't be together. And I know some of you are dating and it feels so good and I'm glad. I say to every couple whose wedding I do and premarital counseling, you better feel that way about each other. But if you're expecting that to work you are as likely to drive from here to California on one tank of gas and get there. It won't last. Those feelings, they change. Well, what changes them? Bad breath. Yes, I mean, life. Just seeing each other, because when you date, you smell good all the time. Like you do, you look good all the time. If your car is normally dirty or your truck, you guys clean it during that time. It's only when you've been married for a while that she has to kick things out of the way to have a seat. That's the way marriage works. There is a growing up, and that's what he's saying. He says there's a then, and there, there's a now, and there is a then. For now we see in a mirror dimly, meaning we see only reflection. We don't see the real image, just a reflection. But then face to face, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. There is this now and then. And in marriages that last, the love gets deeper and the love gets better. Right, Dana? Right, Valerie? When the diagnosis comes, there better be some love there that gets you through that difficult time. When the test comes, when the children are sick, when the uh, children wander away from God, you better have this deep love that binds two hearts together. Love your wife. Love your husband like Jesus loves you because love always endures. It is love that endures. And then there's this famous statement. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Why? When you came to faith in Christ, to trust Christ, you did so through faith. And you will live the rest of your physical life by faith it will be tested at times it will be tried at times you'll live by faith hope keeps you alive the people who commit suicide do so because they lose hope until you die you will live by faith and by hope but once you have died guess what you'll no longer need any of faith why Because the object of your faith has been realized. You have seen Christ. You will no longer need hope because everything you've ever hoped for has come to reality. But guess what you will continue to do in heaven? Love. God is love. You'll continue to love there. Love will be alive and complete and perfect and and right and everything it's supposed to be. Divorced from all of the junk and the shrapnel that it creates on this earth. It'll be the real deal then. The ultimate. No faith. Not not needed. Hope. You won't need that anymore. Love. Everywhere. In that moment. Everywhere. Everywhere. So, how is this fleshed out? Two ways. Number one, if you, as a church, can you, as a member of this church, put your name in front of the is patient, is kind, is the verbs? Can you, as a member of God's church, you may not be a member of this church, do that? Or can you say, I've never experienced that love of a God who would send his only son to die for me on the cross? I want that kind of love so I can love that kind of way. We'll apply it that way, number one. Number two, relationships. Marriage, if you're married... Do you love like this? Or to the many singles in the room, is this the kind of love you're waiting for? And are you willing to wait till you get it? Robertson McQuilkin was an accomplished professor at Columbia Bible College, now Columbia International University, and he became the president there. It was a lifelong dream of his to be president at CIU. What McQuilkin did not know would happen is that his wife would get Alzheimer's. And he would be faced with the dilemma And his dilemma would be this. Can I be the president of this college and take care of my wife like she needs now? They had been married at this time for 40 years. And McQuilkin was finally in the job of his dreams. He made a pretty radical decision. And there is an audio recording of his conversation with the student body and leaders at Columbia Bible College. There's some pictures that go with this recording. They're kind of rough, but listen up, and we'll crank it up with the rain going, but listen up at what McQuilkin said to those students. I would say to you that if you're single in this room, that's the kind of love you want. That if you are married in this room, that is the kind of love you want. I don't know that you'll ever stop wanting that. You say, what do I do? If your marriage is in distress, here's what I want you to do. Take First Corinthians 13. As a couple, go home, get your Bible out, and say, we're not letting go until this is who we are. Until this is us, we're not letting go. If you're single, go to 1 Corinthians 13 and say, I'm not marrying anyone until I am a First Corinthians 13 kind of lover. Until I can love like that. I, I'm not saying I do. I'm not saying I will. Until I can love like that. Let's pray. Father, Paul makes it clear here that this is the kind of love that Christ had for us and has for us. And that the only possible way that I can love my wife, that I can love this church, that I can love my children. That I can love my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, wherever they may be in the world. It's when I love like Jesus loves me. I pray for husbands and wives in this room to abandon their idea of self-seeking love and to embrace the reality of selfless, sacrificial love for one another. I pray that they would practically apply that in their lives. I pray for the singles in this room some who will only be here today working with Infuge other Ridgecresters who have just a few days or a few weeks and then those that you have planted faithfully here at Grace I pray for them that they would not seek a 1 Corinthians 13 lover until they become one I pray this, Jesus, in your strong name. Amen. God bless you. I've enjoyed this. Uh, Don't forget tonight, the seminars. We'll meet right here at 5 o'clock. And just right on cue. It's not raining so hard. So you guys have a great rest of your Sunday.